Dr. Arthur Perry, he's one of the top plastic surgeons. He's got offices in Manhattan, New Jersey. You know, and he's been doing a show here on WOR for years and years and years. Very uh, popular show and a great plastic surgeon. Everybody has questions on this subject, so uh, he's the guy to ask. Dr. Arthur Perry. Dumb, the public wants to know. The public doesn't give a damn. And I went to his office, and I said, mm. I said, look at my face. And he goes, yeah, look at your face. What can I do with your face? What can you do with his face? I go like that. I swear to God. I go, look at this. I'm getting old. I said, I want to maybe you could fix it up a little bit. Dr. Oz, are you there? I'm here, Arthur, and I want to get applaud you, having worked with you on a book and numerous other activities. You want to talk to Arthur Perry? The best in plastic surgery. Remarkable knowledge, but also your grace in delivering content, which is why it's been a blessing to have you on my show so many times. When I was a resident at the University of Chicago, we had a... That means you're smart. As a really, really gifted physician, uh, I want to pay you the, the highest tribute I can give to a surgeon, which is when people come to you, they don't come for an operation, they come for an opinion. And that's why I trust you with my uh, friends and relatives. I didn't realize we were going to get the Michael Jordan of plastic surgeon. 90210 bows to this guy. And welcome. This is Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WOR. And I hope you're having a great weekend. I certainly had a wonderful day. It's a beautiful day in uh, the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. Low humidity, kind of low temperature, really a nice crisp day, and I hope you're enjoying it. But you still need that sunscreen. Yeah, you weren't going to get away with uh, hearing, uh, without hearing uh, about the UV index. It still was up there today, and you need your sunscreen. All right, this is the—no, it's not the sunscreen show. It's the show about you. It's the show about your wrinkles, the show about your fat, the show about your sags. Your little things, your big things that you want little, and your big things that you, <laughs> your little things that you want big, and your big things that you want little. That's what this show is all about. This is the plastic surgery show right here on WOR, where we've been doing this since 2005. Noah at my side, and uh, we take your phone calls, answer your questions, and uh, boy, I've got a great show planned for you tonight. But before we get to the show. I'm going to give out the number, 800-321-0710, 800-321-0710. And I'm giving out the number early because tonight we're giving out bottles of Soft Time. I can't remember the last time we gave out Soft Time. It is a moisturizer. And, you know, I've, I've recently kind of changed my stance on moisturizers. You know, I, I reluctantly designed the best moisturizer you can get your hands on. And I did that because relatives of mine, specifically my wife, would not give up her moisturizer. And so I figured, you know, if she's not going to give it up, you're not giving it up either. And I, all the literature said that if you're young and healthy, you really don't need a moisturizer. Well, there's some, uh, there's some new data now, and, and that still holds true. But once you start in that perimenopausal area, that time of life when you're beginning to lose your periods and go into menopause, well, there's a dramatic change in the water content of your skin. And that is a, that's really when moisturizer, <clears throat> it's really when moisturizer comes in very handy and is very, very useful to you. So, so I think, uh, you know, I've changed a bit over the years. I said, no woman needs a moisturizer. I don't believe that anymore. I do believe that once you hit about that age, and, and you know when you're there. Some people reach menopause in their early 40s. Some people reach menopause in their late 50s, and it's usually in that range. Uh, but when you do, your skin undergoes such a change that a moisturizer is a very nice thing. But you have to use a good one. You can't use that slop, you know, that stuff you've just put on your skin that clogs the pores. 
Now the moisturizer that I created simulates the normal oils of the skin. It's got the things in it that are really, really good for your skin. Ceramides, ceramides, that's a, that's a good one. Phytosphingosine, try saying that one at a party, phytosphingosine. Uh, those are the good ingredients that make my moisturizer wonderful. So give it a try, and if you uh, do call the show with a legitimate question, you can't just call in. You know, that happens every week. People call in and say, just send the moisturizer. No, you've got to have a question for me. So call 800-321-0710. All right, tonight I've got a lot to talk about. You know, we've had uh, uh, shows in the past few weeks from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons uh, meeting, and last week was a little chopped up uh, uh, show, but this week, this is a great show. You're going to want to stay tuned, and if you're driving into Manhattan, uh, you know, you can't call in, you know, but but the person in the navigator seat can call in, so uh, please do that, 800-321-0710. All right, so we're going to talk about a new ingredient in skincare. You know, I have my uh, my own line of skincare, and, and I'm somewhat biased. Everybody is, but I've created my line with the best ingredients possible. Now, over the last few years, there have been all these unusual things added to skincare with the uh, incredible, incredible claims plant stem cells, charcoal. We've talked about all these things on the show, peptides, and all these, uh, all these things that are supposed to be incredible for your skin. Well, the new one, the new one that's catching popularity now, are, uh, is probiotics for the skin. Probiotics. You know, uh, we've taken probiotics for years. Started with Dan and yogurt, right? You know, we, we know that uh, if you have yogurt with active cultures, we think, and, uh, and there's some good evidence that when you eat those things, uh, it helps you. It helps you uh, digest food, and it helps normalize your gut. Uh, so that's probably a good thing, although, honestly, there's a lot of people that question the value of probiotics, and the probiotics that you buy in the pharmacy or in the supermarket, you know, they're just a, uh, just a mix of all these different bacteria without a lot of science. And how many billions of colonies are you supposed to use and how many of this bacteria, that bacteria? And you think, well, if I get the most, that's probably better. There's not a lot of science. But we won't go into the oral probiotics. Let's talk about the probiotics for the skin. And uh, there are now dozens and dozens, probably approaching hundreds of products that now have probiotics for the skin. And the question is, do they work? So during the show, we're going to talk all about probiotics. We're going to talk about facelifts today also. One of my favorite topics. I love doing facelifts. I did one yesterday. Don't usually operate on a Friday, but uh, this week was an unusual uh, week. And so uh, we're going to talk about facelifts and how they have evolved over the years and when is surgery too much? You know, when can you do a lot of surgery in a day? When is it too much? We'll talk all about that. And, of course, we're going to take your phone calls, 800-321-0710. And coming up, we've got a great interview with a Robert Wood Johnson surgeon. You're not going to miss that one. That's uh, really a, a wonderful uh, interview coming up in just a few minutes. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon, host of this show. been doing this for a long time. If this is the very first time you've listened to this show, where have you been? I've been here every Saturday night for all these years waiting for your phone call and uh, looking uh, sometimes out the window at all the uh, animals, the deer, the dogs, and the, even some feral pigs walking around in the back and uh, waiting for your call, 800-321-0710. So let's, let's start talking about bacteria and the skin. And, and we'll start with 
what kind of got me going on this subject, I read a paper in uh, the July issue of the Germinal, the Journal, not the Germinal, the Journal of Cosmetic Dermatology. Now, I'm sure you all read this journal, and I do. Uh, it was a, a article about a type of bacteria that was put on the skin to improve wrinkles. And um, this is called probiotics. That's what really probiotics are. They're bacteria that, uh, that live in a, what's called a commensal relationship with your body. So in your gut, they're very important. And we know that the bacteria in your gut, in your intestines, are so important that if you wipe them out, you get very sick. You don't make vitamin K and many other things. And in fact, your appendix is probably just a, a little factory to keep the uh, bacteria going in your gut. So what about your skin? Well, your skin also has a lot of different bacteria. And uh, in fact, many bacteria, I call it a zoo of bacteria that grows on your skin. Uh, in fact, the uh, most common one, there are lots of different uh, bacteria, uh, but the most common one are, uh, uh, well, things called, um, well, how about some uh, staph? Well, you think of staph as a, as a bad bacteria, but uh, staph epidermidis is the one that uh, accounts for 90% of the bacteria on your skin. And you say, well, why do I have bacteria on my skin? Again, we've evolved over the millennia to, be, to live kind of in concert with bacteria, not just in our gut. We know that. But we're beginning to understand that bacteria do good things for our skin also. And these particular bacteria are called staph epidermidis. Uh, well, they probably provide uh, some degree of nutrition to our skin, but also probably very importantly, they fight the other bacteria that cause infections in our skin. So if we wipe out the staph epidermidis, that's not a good thing. Then we get other things that grow on our skin. Well, if you culture your skin, and what is a culture, by the way? That's when a, uh, a bacteriologist or a physician takes a, oh, uh, something uh, called a culture plate. You know, I don't want to get too technical, but they press it onto your skin, and then they incubate it at uh, at at normal body temperature for a couple days and see what kind of bacteria grow out. And every single one of us will grow out 90% of that staph epidermidis and about 10% other stuff, other bacteria. Some of those are fairly benign, but some are not so good. So a lot of you will grow staph aureus, and there are some staph aureus that are not so bad, but then there's that methicillin-resistant staph aureus that about 40 or so percent of us have. And uh, it usually lives in our nose and on our skin, and it stays kind of in check because of all our other bacteria and our immune system. But when that immune system gets kind of thrown off, we can get infections. So if you have surgery and you have uh, something like methicillin-resistant staph living in your nose, well, you can get an infection from that particular organism. So that's one that's not so good, but it's considered a normal flora of the skin. Flora, by the way, is the name that scientists and doctors give to the bacteria growing in the skin. Well, there are streptococci. Well, that's not so good because that causes strep throats. Usually we don't have those on our skin. Uh, they're kind of rare. Uh, and the reason for that is the normal fat in your skin that you produce, that sebum, that really good stuff that I've tried to simulate with my soft time, that actually is lethal to strep, which is good. So if you use harmful things on your skin, 
skincare products or very uh, injurious soaps, not like mine, which has the correct pH and doesn't strip your skin and things like that. But if you use some bad soaps, you can actually remove some of those fats and set yourself up for more infections with things like strep. There's also diphtheroids. Uh, they're present in areas with a lot of sebaceous glands on your face and your armpits, things like that. And then there's propion propiani bacterium. That's uh, more common in, in acne, but they live in your skin in small numbers. And when you get something like acne, then you can get an overgrowth of those things. There's microcoxi. There's all sorts. It's a real zoo of bacteria living in your skin. So now, now that I've given you what normal skin is made of, we're going to talk at 6.30, not right now, but at 6.30, we're going to talk about probiotics for the skin and adding other bacteria and what that does to you. So we're going to take a short break now. We'll come back after the break. We'll have our guest, and then we're going to talk all about this and facelift surgery and answer your questions. The calls are already coming in, 800-321-0710. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. We'll be back after these words. Listen carefully if you're interested in beautiful skin. I'm plastic surgeon Dr. Arthur Perry. Good skin care really can improve your appearance. I know you've used many products over the years and haven't seen a difference. So you say, why should I try your skin care, Dr. Perry? Well, here's why. I combine scientifically proven ingredients into just a few products, and that keeps it simple. A study showed my skin care reduced the appearance of wrinkles by 20%, and visual signs of aging by 44% at 12 weeks. That's huge, and that's real. Daytime with niacin protects, and nighttime with vitamins A and C nourishes. And Clean Time Cleansing Bar even removes most makeup. I'm offering my basic kit, all three products, for $65 plus shipping, if you use the WOR2019 code. Go to drperrys.com, that's D-R-P-E-R-R-Y-S.com, or call 844-DR-PERRY to order. To learn more, listen every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on WOR. We've become a nation obsessed with losing weight, but we seem to be losing sight of why. At RWJ Barnabas Health, we take a different approach to weight loss. Instead of emphasizing short-term goals like reducing the size of your waist, we focus on long-term benefits like reducing your risk of diabetes, sleep apnea, and hypertension. And for those whose best option is bariatric surgery, your journey begins with a nurse navigator who will be with you from the time you commit right through recovery. Along the way, you'll learn about different surgical techniques, healthy eating, sensible exercise, and support groups. And once you find your healthy weight, you'll look and feel better too. It's not about losing weight overnight. It's about staying healthy over time. Visit rwjbh.org slash weight loss. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. You're listening to What's Your Wrinkle with Dr. Arthur Perry. What's your wrinkle? We're back. This is Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WOR. And the phone number 800-321-0710. We've got Marie on the line. We have just a couple minutes to take your call before the interview. Go ahead, Marie. What can I do for you? 
Oh, yes. I wanted to know, Dr. Perry, and thanks for taking my call. I can't use retinol because it digs very deeply into my skin and causes, like, scarring. And I don't know what to use. And the second question is, I wanted to know about those nanoparticles in makeup that can go through the blood-brain barrier, and they're very dangerous to your skin. I want to know what products to use and what you can't use. Wow. <laughs> that's a whole uh, that's a whole book. So I'll tell you what, Marie, we're going to have time to answer the retinol question first. And then I've got a break. And then uh, I will. Um, you don't have to hang on the line. I'll talk about nanoparticles and things like that after the 630 uh, break. So uh, because that's really a big topic. But but retinol. So, you know, it's kind of an unusual reaction. I, I've never heard of anyone getting scarring from retinol. Uh, are you talking about getting an allergic reaction and an infection or what actually happened? Well, well, I don't know. I know that I used a product, I can't remember which one, and it dug very deep into my skin, and it caused, like, scarring. So I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, so here's the know. story. So retinol, retinol is a type of vitamin A. There are many types of vitamin A. Uh, the one, the active form of vitamin A is called retinoic acid, retinoic acid. That's the active ingredient in retin-A. Uh, which is a prescription drug. There are many other types of vitamin A, um, and one of those is ret retinol. That's in a lot of Johnson & Johnson products, Neutrogena products. Uh, it, there's also something called retinaldehyde. That's in, I think, some L'Oreal products. I have something called retinyl propionate, which is the hardest-to-pronounce form of vitamin, <laughs> vitamin A. But the truth of vitamin A is is that you um, your body can transform any form from one to another. Now, Marie, I'm going to have to go uh, and uh, and we're we've got a guest on the line, so I have to break off. But I will answer this question. So I want you to hang on, not on the line, but hang on to the radio because uh, when we return at 6:30, I want to talk all about retinol and we'll talk about nanoparticles and things like that. But right now, we've got Dr. Nicole Cumry. I hope I pronounced your name right. Uh, Dr. Crumry, is that how you pronounce it? Crumry. Uh, Crumry. Okay. Thank you. I, I apologize for that. Well, Dr. Crumry is the Associate Director of the Level 1 Trauma Center at the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital and the Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Now, Robert Wood Johnson is one of only three Level 1 trauma centers in the state of New Jersey, and it regularly takes care of some of the most seriously injured patients in the state. Now, it's, it's really very important that you understand what a level one trauma center is because it takes care of very complex cases. And here to talk to us about, about a level one trauma center and Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital specifically is Dr. Nicole Crumray. I've got I've to get it right. By the end of the interview, I absolutely will <laughs> because Dr. Crumray is a spectacular surgeon. Well, she trained at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. She did a fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania down the, uh, down the road, one of the great hospitals, great medical schools in the country, and we're so happy to have her at Robert Wood Johnson now. So thank you so much for taking time on your Saturday evening, Dr. Crumry. Crumry. Thank you for I having me. Right. It's a tough name. Perry's easy. But <laughs> anyway, tell us, tell us what, what is trauma? People hear about trauma centers, but what is trauma? Uh, so trauma is really 
any uh, wound, and normally we think of physical injury uh, caused by some sort of external force or violence, but, you know, obviously it could be an emotional or psychological injury as well. But the, at least initially what we deal with is, is the physical injury. Uh, and any type of serious trauma puts patients at risk for uh, significant uh, complications from that, um, limitations, or possibly even death. So there are different types of trauma. We all know about gunshots and, and things like that and car accidents. When does someone need to go to a, a level one trauma center as opposed to just a community hospital? Well, it, it really depends on not only the mechanism, but the severity of uh, the body's response to that injury. Uh, and since I'm not in the field, we rely on our pre-hospital colleagues uh, to really do that initial assessment and try and determine based on the mechanism of injury, uh, the patient themselves, if they bring some sort of medical problems uh, uh, that put them at a higher risk of complications from the injury, as well as uh, their vital signs, you know, is this patient uh, needing uh, a higher level of care than what a community hospital could provide? Really okay, what we're so trying to do is determine what getting the right paid to the, the right center at the right time. Okay, so now one of the most dangerous things people can do is drive. I think the federal government has, has uh, had statistics out there. It used to be one in 2,000 chance of dying every year if you drive every day on the New Jersey Turnpike. Actually, I think the study was done in the California highway system. Now it's, I think, something like one in 3,000 because of airbags uh, helping us a great deal. But let's say someone is on the New Jersey Turnpike right now near Exit 9, and, uh, and they just got sideswiped by another car, and the airbag went off. The wheel came off the car, and they came to a stop on the guard, on, near the guardrail in the middle there. So now the ambulance comes, and, uh, and they have to decide how, is this pa how injured is this patient, and uh, what do they decide? how do they decide who goes to that trauma center and who just goes to the local hospital then? How do they do it? Well, if it was Exit 9, they would probably come to <laughs> us anyways, just from a location standpoint, because one of the other things that they, be, uh, you know, the, the pre-hospital personnel will determine is uh, if the injury is serious enough, they have to go to not only the appropriate place, uh, in some places, New Jersey's not one of them since, you know, we're a smaller state and we have a, a lot of hospitals, but if you're more in a rural county, you might not have, and you are seriously injured, you might not um, have time, you know, to take that three-hour journey to, to the appropriate center. You might have to go whatever closest hospital is there to help you. Uh, but that being said, EMS uses a triaging or a sorting system uh, to say, you know, how seriously are they injured? You know, are, are they, is the patient awake and talking to us? Um, do they look like they have a serious head injury? Are they more confused? So are we more worried about a head injury? Um, is their heart rate really fast? Is their blood pressure really low? Uh, are we worried that they're bleeding uh, because of an external wound? Um, is uh, if, if it was more kind of serious mechanism, you know, that the car just didn't kind of get kind of, you know, sideswiped over, but it rolled a couple of times, or maybe that um, the person who was driving the car wasn't wearing their seatbelt and they got ejected. Those are all things that kind of put that patient maybe at a higher concern that there, there is a, a need for a higher level of care, like a level one trauma center. Okay, so someone's now out in Hunterdon County, and they just got gored by a bull, <laughs> and, and it's a terrible injury. So the, uh, they're trying to figure out, do they go to a level one or level two trauma center? What's the difference? So uh, a level one trauma center is, is very similar to a level two. A level one uh, should be a regional resource. 
it generally uh, should be almost the lead of that area. Um, it has the a larger, uh, in general, a larger personnel to kind of take care of that trauma patient from uh, uh, the time that they're admitted all the way to, you know, basically rehabilitation. Um, it also has a lot of educational resources uh, to provide for the community. Um, they're the level two centers are also expected to kind of provide de definitive trauma care, regardless of the severity of injury. And most have similar capabilities to a level one trauma center, but they, uh, there are certain aspects they just might not have. And if that is the case, uh, a mature trauma system, um, whether you're a level one, level two, or even um, a level three, four, should be able to identify that patient, that they can stabilize that patient at that lower level trauma center understand that they don't have the resources or capabilities of taking care of that trauma patient at that center and then subsequently uh, transfer it to a higher level of care like Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. So I've been around uh, New Jersey for now 34 years uh, since I finished my residency and uh, on the staff of Robert Wood Johnson, and I watched as it got its uh, trauma, level one trauma certification and uh, so, but tell us, what does it take, and tell us specifically about Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital and what it means to have that Level 1 Trauma Center certification. What do you guys do special there? So we are not only a state Level 1 Trauma Center, we are also American College of Surgery verified Level 1 Trauma Center. So that's an, an extra special step uh, that we have taken uh, so that the community knows that we are going above and beyond what's required from a state level to really provide excellent care to our trauma patients. Uh, so uh, Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital is only one of three level one trauma centers in New Jersey. Uh, we care for over 2,000 trauma patients each year in the emergency department, uh, and that emergency department sees over 95,000 patients each year, some of which may be trauma patients that don't require my specialty as a, as a trauma surgeon, but uh, so that number can be even, then that 2,000 we take care of can be even larger. Um, so we, we basically not only treat these patients, we also conduct research as well as, excuse me, other educational uh, endeavors to help uh, not only our community within the hospital, but the community within um, our uh, area of New Jersey. Um, we're one of the few centers uh, that offers uh, an emergency medical services disaster medicine program, and this is in partnership with Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Um, it's a fellowship that trains doctors in the best ways to treat medical patients, excuse me, to treat patients in emergency scenes from either, um, you know, uh, small car accidents to uh, uh, any type of mass casualty events similar to either the Boston bombing or even the, uh, you know, 9-11 attacks. Um, we're also a uh, level, uh, ACS verified level two pediatric trauma center as well. Um, we were the first in the, the New Jersey to basically get uh, a state designation to treat uh, pediatric patients. And that is all so important. It, it is, I can't state how important it is. And I, and I know uh, the folks at Robert Wood Johnson are, are fairly modest. They've got an incredible facility and an incredible uh, emergency room staff. And and one of the things that that is uh, is important at a level one trauma center is that you, I'm sure you don't enjoy this too much, but you have to sleep in the hospital. Uh, surgeons yeah. sleep in the hospital at a level one trauma center, correct? 
We do, yes. We There is a trauma surgeon in-house, at least one trauma surgeon in-house 24-7, 365. And, and that's so important because the uh, even the lower level, I don't believe that's necessary for a level 2 trauma center. They call them in from home. Is that correct? It depends on the center, but a majority of level twos do not. And again, it just depends on the hospital, but a majority do not have in-house trauma surgeons. It just depends on the hospital. And, and when we are talking about real trauma, a gunshot, uh, a, uh, a um, car accident, being gored by that bull and bleeding to death, it is so important for uh, patients, for, uh, for the community to understand how a level one trauma center can really save your life because we've got all the facilities, all the surgeons, and they're there. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for your. <laughs> they're waiting for your injury. So, uh, you know, I, I never wish someone to be injured, but we are there and waiting for you. Uh, we are there in the trauma bay. We have blood emergently available. We have an operating room emergently available, ready to take care of that unfortunate uh, event if you do get injured. All right. My guest this evening has been Dr. Nicole Crumry. Did I spell? Did I sound it out right this time? You did. You did. Oh, yes. I told you I get it by the end of the show. She's the associate director of the Level One Trauma Center at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital and Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. I I hope to meet you, but not as a patient, <laughs> as <Sounds> a physician. <laughs> and and I want to thank you so much for taking time on your Saturday evening to educate the public. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WOR. There's more to the show. Stay tuned and have your phone calls ready, 800-321-0710. We'll be back after these words. We've become a nation obsessed with losing weight, but we seem to be losing sight of why. At RWJ Barnabas Health, we take a different approach to weight loss. Instead of emphasizing short-term goals like reducing the size of your waist, we focus on long-term benefits like reducing your risk of diabetes, sleep apnea, and hypertension. And for those whose best option is bariatric surgery, your journey begins with a nurse navigator who will be with you from the time you commit right through recovery. Along the way, you'll learn about different surgical techniques healthy eating, sensible exercise, and support groups. And once you find your healthy weight, you'll look and feel better too. It's not about losing weight overnight. It's about staying healthy over time. Visit rwjbh.org slash weight loss. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Ladies, are you seeing an older person in the mirror? You love your mother, but you might not want to look like her. She was older and you're not. I'm plastic surgeon Dr. Arthur Perry, and I've spent three decades perfecting techniques to help you look younger. If you have sagging eyelids, wrinkles, jowls, bands in the neck, or splotchy skin, I can help. Botox, wrinkle fillers, a rejuvenating facial laser, or Althera might be just what you need. And for the most dramatic rejuvenation, I perform short scar facelifts. Let's spend an hour together in my Fifth Avenue or Somerset, New Jersey offices. I'll examine you and will alter your photographs with my new Vectra 3D camera to show you what you could look like after surgery. Schedule a consultation by calling 212-753-1820 or 732-422-9600. On the web, it's periplasticsurgery.com. That's periplasticsurgery.com. And don't forget to listen to me, Dr. Arthur Perry, every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on WOR. WOR. 
You're listening to What's Your Wrinkle with Dr. Arthur Perry. What's your wrinkle? And we're back. This is Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WOR. This is the show about you, the show about your wrinkles. Yes, the show about your fat, the show about your large nose, maybe a small nose, maybe drooping breasts. That's what we talk about on this show. And you can become part of the show by giving us a call, 800-321-0710. Tonight, you'll, uh, you'll go home with a bottle of soft time, soft time, which is really great this time of year, by the way. As the humidity drops and the temperature drops, a lot of people do get symptoms of dry skin. And you know what's going to happen in about a month. Here's what's going to happen. Right around a month from now, your fingers are going to start cracking. Remember that? Winter's coming. Well, you can prevent that with a good moisturizer. And what I do, here's my secret. I put the soft on my hands and I put these gloves on my hand. It doesn't have to be fancy gloves. It can be you can get from your doctor maybe or Home Depot, a little pair of latex or nitrile gloves. And you put those on at night and you wake up in the morning and your hands are really soft because the moisturizer really can get into your skin. So do that at the very first sign or even before your hands start getting uh, cracked and wintry. Ah, so bad. All right, we were talking before the uh, interview uh, with a young lady who wanted to know about the vitamin A retinol. So let me tell you a little bit about that. So vitamin A, first of all, it is a wonderful ingredient for the skin. It's one of the top two. And you hear about all this stuff. I almost said a bad word, junk, uh, for the skin. But all this stuff that goes on the skin, well, um, it's vitamin A and vitamin C. Those are the two big things. They have the most studies. Vitamin A has almost 2,000 studies now showing that it's very beneficial to the skin in many very complex ways. We don't have to go into all those details other than to tell you that it's really good for your skin. So you're going to want to find a skin preparation, a skin cream, a skin serum, like my nighttime, which has vitamin A and or retinol. Uh, in the Johnson & Johnson products or retinoic acid in uh, prescription Retin-A. It's very good for your skin. But really, believe it or not, only in the Retin-A study, the original Retin-A study, only 21% of people actually saw a reduction in wrinkles using Retin-A. You know, and that's the granddaddy of them all. So uh, we compare our products with and our vitamin A products with Retin-A. So retinol is a little less irritating than retinoic acid, Retin-A, and that's why it's in some of the products. Uh, it does the same thing as retinoic acid because your body has what's called enzymes which convert retinol to retinoic acid. Likewise, the reason I put what's called retinyl propionate, very hard word to pronounce. You want to say that R in there, but retinyl propionate is a form of vitamin A which is much less irritating. That's why I chose it for my nighttime. So it's much you're much less likely to get irritation from the vitamin A. But, but this is very important. The reason I have niacin, which is vitamin B3, in my daytime, that's the morning part of my skincare program, is because it is the specific antidote the antidote for vitamin A irritation, caused irritation. So they're like bookends. At night, you put vitamin A on your skin because it's really good. And in the morning, you put niacin, vitamin B3, and also vitamin B5, which is pantothenic acid. Those are in my daytime. So you know, there's a lot of science to this. Uh, we put those in in the morning, and that counteracts the irritating effects and makes it so that more people can use the vitamin A products, which are so good for your skin. Now, here's also what I advise my patients to do. 
with either my products or Retin-A. So we start out, if you start every single night with a vitamin A, most people do get some irritation, even when you use the daytime, the vitamin uh, B3. So here's what you want to do. You start out twice a week, and I put my patients on a Monday-Thursday schedule, whether it's prescription Retin-A or my product. For two weeks, it's, every, it's uh, twice a week. After you hit two weeks, then you go to every other night. And again, it's with uh, using the vitamin A product, whatever it is, as well as the vitamin B3 in daytime in the morning. And by the time you're at four weeks, so two weeks of uh, twice a week, two weeks of every other night, when you hit that fourth week, you can usually tolerate the vitamin A every night. And since there is what is called a dose-response effect, that means the more you use it, the better the effect, you'll want to... You, you want to get your skin to the point where it can tolerate every night. But don't do it right off the bat. Now, I have to give you this disclaimer right now. I'm not your doctor out there, unless I am your doctor. But I'm not your doctor on the radio, and so I can't give you specific advice. So those of you listening to me, yeah, I'm giving you some suggestions, yes. But if you really have irritation, if you're, really, if you're using the uh, prescription version, you need to go to your physician to get that advice. So you hear it on the radio and take it for what it's worth. Uh, but I can't give you very specific advice unless you are my patient, which uh, many of uh, my listeners are. All right, so vitamin A, very good for your skin. That's a really unusual reaction that the caller said uh, she got with her skin. She probably really overdid it. Uh, with the retinol and burned her skin with it. We don't want to do that. Now, what about nanoparticles? She said, oh, my goodness, they're terrible. They go all over your body. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. They simply don't. Nanoparticles are little tiny particles, uh, and, uh, you know, they're uh, something less than 10, uh, under 100 microns. You know, it's a measurement. Anything under 100 microns is considered a nanoparticle. And we have nanoparticles in all sorts of skin care. We have nanoparticles in zinc oxide. I don't use that in mine. Uh, there's nanoparticles in titanium dioxide. Uh, there's nanoparticles in a lot of things. And there's a great worry by, by you and the tabloids and the people that like to worry people that nanoparticles get in through your skin and they go everywhere and cause havoc. Well, they don't. They just don't. And there was actually a good study uh, in 2012 at the University of Bath. Have any of you have been to Bath in England? It's a wonderful little town. But at the University of Bath, uh, they did a study, and they looked at nanoparticles, and they looked to see if they could actually penetrate skin. And no, they could not. They can't penetrate your skin. There's no real good evidence that any nanoparticles can, uh, can penetrate the skin. I'm not worried about nanoparticles being put on your skin. I am worried about nanoparticles that you breathe in and things like that. That's a whole different story, but uh, I'm not at all worried. Having said that, I don't put them in my products because, you know, there's, there's what's real and there's what you worry about. And I don't want you to worry about it, so I just don't put it in my products. But I'm not worried about it. <laughs> So I could, but I won't. How's that? All right, I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WOR. The phone is 800-321-0710 and uh, 800-321-0710. So uh, we were talking about probiotics in skincare. probiotics. And uh, the article came out in July using this particular bacteria on the skin. So I'm going to tell you what the article said, and uh, those of you who have listened to me over the years might come to the same conclusion right off the bat. But here's what it said. So, so they took this bacteria, and it's called Nitrosomus eutropha, 
which is not a normal bacteria of the skin. It's not one of those that I mentioned to you, not in the top 10 of the bacteria on the skin. But it is used as a uh, probiotic. So they put it on the skin, and they wanted to see if there's any uh, improvement in facial wrinkles. And in this study, they got high-resolution photographs. There were 29 people in the study, and they looked after just seven days of this, and they said, wow, there was a st statistically significant decrease in the wrinkle depth and severity, and pigmentation was better. Now, wait a minute here. Let's, let's think about this. This is one study with 20-something people, and uh, it is what I call in the scientific world unbelievable. And the reason it's unbelievable, it's unbelievable both scientifically and unbelievable <laughs> because it just is, if you really look at this, now you've spent how many years thinning your skin and getting wrinkles? You know, 10, 20, 30, 50 years? Do you really think that some magic bacteria that goes on your skin is actually going to not only stop the aging process but reverse it in a week? Come on now. Come on. We're all a little bit smarter than that, and it can't happen. It is such a difficult process even when we use vitamin C, vitamin A, the fruit acids, and all the good things that I put in my skin cream because I've read every paper I can possibly get my hands on. Uh, and having said that, it's still very difficult. You can't see anything, even with my products at a week. You can't. You, maybe a little smoothing of the skin because of the uh, alpha hydroxy or uh, the uh, lactic acid in my products. But you can't see a reduction in wrinkles. You can't even see it. Well, my machines, the computerized cameras, can measure improvement at 30 days. They can. But the real question is, when you look in the mirror, do you see an improvement? Yeah, some people think they do. But I'm not a big believer. But by 90 days, you sure can. And by six months, absolutely, I can show you pictures of my patients and others. Uh, but that's real science. That's real science. And this paper that came out putting, slopping some bacteria on your face and we can, we can get decreased wrinkles at one week, I don't believe it. You shouldn't believe it. That's garbage science. I'm sorry. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WOR, the phone number 800-321-0710. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Listen carefully if you're interested in beautiful skin. I'm plastic surgeon Dr. Arthur Perry. Good skin care really can improve your appearance. I know you've used many products over the years and haven't seen a difference, so you say, why should I try your skincare, Dr. Perry? Well, here's why. I combine scientifically proven ingredients into just a few products, and that keeps it simple. A study showed my skincare reduced the appearance of wrinkles by 20% and visual signs of aging by 44% at 12 weeks. That's huge, and that's real. Daytime with niacin protects, and nighttime with vitamins A and C nourishes. And Clean Time Cleansing Bar even removes most makeup. I'm offering my basic kit, all three products, for $65 plus shipping if you use the WOR2019 code. Go to drperrys.com, that's D-R-P-E-R-R-Y-S.com, or call 844-DR-PERRY to order. To learn more, listen every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on WOR. Ladies, are you seeing an older person in the mirror? You love your mother, but you might not want to look like her. She was older and you're not. I'm plastic surgeon Dr. Arthur Perry, and I've spent three decades perfecting techniques to help you look younger. If you have sagging eyelids, wrinkles, jowls, bands in the neck, or splotchy skin, I can help. Botox, wrinkle fillers, a rejuvenating facial laser, or Althera might be just what you need. 
and for the most dramatic rejuvenation, I perform short scarf facelifts. Let's spend an hour together in my Fifth Avenue or Somerset, New Jersey offices. I'll examine you and will alter your photographs with my new Vectra 3D camera to show you what you could look like after surgery. Schedule a consultation by calling 212-753-1820 or 732-422-9600. On the web, it's periplasticsurgery.com. That's periplasticsurgery.com. And don't forget to listen to me, Dr. Arthur Perry, every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on WOR. You're listening to What's Your Wrinkle with Dr. Arthur Perry. What's your wrinkle? We are back. This is Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WOR. So during the break, I got an email from uh, someone, and they wanted the reference. When I talked about nanoparticles, uh, you know, that's fine. Challenge me. That's good. Here's the reference. Okay, so if you're uh, interested in nanoparticles and read the Journal of Controlled Release, boy, that's a, uh, that's a journal, right? August 2012, page 201, volume 162. And the uh, title of the paper is Objective Assessment of Nanoparticle Disposition in Mammalian, Mammalian Skin After Topical Exposure. So uh, that's one. There's a lot of papers like that, but that's, uh, that's the one I was quoting. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's fine. I, I want my patients and my listeners to be educated. I want you to question this because there are so many people that go on the radio and they say, absolute garbage and the things that i say are backed by science that's who i am and that's what i do all right we were talking a little bit about probiotics i'm going to finish that that topic because in the dermatologic online dermatology online journal of may of this year i just want to leave you with this because when i make a statement that challenges dozens and dozens of products out there again i back it with science and here is uh, that particular paper it's on topical probiotics the unknowns behind their rising popularity. That's the article, and I'm not going to read the article, but I'm just going to tell you it says in the conclusion, insufficient clinical data to demonstrate large-scale effectiveness and a thorough understanding of side effects. There's need for further investigation. So that's it. So my advice is don't waste your money on probiotics and skincare. Just don't. All right. We have Mary on the line. Mary, what's your wrinkle? What can I do for you? Uh, doctor, I had therapy done okay. two weeks ago, and I see no change in my face. Was okay. this a waste of money? First of, of all, money? did I do your procedure, Mary? No, you, no doctor. Well, thank God. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, so uh, Mary, let me, let me tell you. First of all, how old are you? 77. You're 77. Congratulations. Um, and are you, uh, what's your weight and your height? I'm five foot two, and I weigh 120 pounds. Okay. So, I do a lot of Althera, and what is Althera? Let me just tell the listeners out there who do not know what Althera is. It's high-energy-focused ultrasound. It's sound energy, uh, and it's sound energy that you can't hear. So it's sort of the, if you were to stand right next to a train, it would be deafening, but the sound is then called ultrasound. So it's a sound, if it's a, the train was so loud but you couldn't hear it because the frequency of the sound was too high, that's called ultrasound. We can then take that sound and we can focus it under your skin so the, the, the intensity of a bass drum beating or a train, that sound, we can focus it under your skin to a f half of a millimeter area under your skin. And it makes your cells actually jiggle and heat up and burn, Mary. It burns. And I'm sure it hurt a little bit. Yes. Uh, yeah. So here's what happens, though. We do that because when we 
when we, in a controlled way, heat up your tissue, we can shrink it and we can generate new collagen. So Ulthera is a really good treatment for a little bit of loose skin of the neck, crepey skin of the neck. It can lift the jowls a little bit, and I, I choose my words carefully. It's not a dramatic effect in most people, but it is an effect. It can raise your brows, your eyebrows a bit. It is a good treatment. But here's the thing. You're already upset at two weeks. You're not going to see anything at two weeks. It's not an instant effect. It takes three months to see the effect of Ulthera. So sit back. Don't get yourself worked up. Then go back to the doctor. Hopefully, did they take photographs of you beforehand? Yes. Good. So you go back to the doctor who did it at three months, and they take photographs again, and they compare before and after. And if you're like most people, you will have a benefit. So the statistics, my statistics, and the ones that were just published a couple of months ago are that about between 10 and 20% of people have an outstanding result, what I call a wow result. We look at the pictures and say, wow, that's, that's really good. But about 70 to 80% of people get a result that's good, but not incredible. That means it's an improvement, it looks better, but it's not something uh, you're going to say, wow, look at this, it's incredible. And about 10% of people don't seem to get a result at all. Now, we've figured out who those people are. So the older you are, the less likely you are to get a good result from Ulthera. So your age is going a little bit against you, but the thinner you are, the more likely you are to get a good result. So the best people are thin people like yourself who are in the 40s and 50s and maybe early 60s. Those people get the best results from Ulthera. Uh, but don't give up yet because uh, you're just beginning to see. It's a biologic effect. It's kind of like tr uh, planting a seed. Have you ever planted uh, maybe a, a sunflower seed in a pot? Yes. And you water it that day, and you go back the next day, and you get so upset because nothing's grown. And you go yeah. back the next day, and nothing's grown. And four days later, all of a sudden, you get a plant, and then it gradually grows. And you have to wait. It's a biologic process. That's what happens with Ulthera. So have, have faith in the procedure. I do have faith in it. I like it. And it is actually probably, it has emerged as probably the best procedure, better than uh, things like electric uh, current, which is thermage and other procedures, uh, certainly better than those, uh, those um, microneedling procedures and better than laser procedures in the neck for crepey skin, things like that. It's, uh, it really is a very good procedure, so don't give up yet. Thank All right, you, Mary. Doctor. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for the phone call. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. This is What's Your Wrinkle right here on WOR. Busy show tonight. We've had so many things, but I did want to talk about facelifts because I did one yesterday, and I do them almost every week, and I love doing facelifts. Uh, they're, they're really very nice procedures. Now, the first facelift was done in 1907, not by me. Uh, and uh, every decade, well, actually, when that first facelift was done, it was just a little bit of skin was removed in front of the ear, and the skin was kind of hiked up to pull on the jowls and made the person look better, and there are pictures in the uh, medical textbooks from those early generation uh, facelifts, but every decade after 1907, plastic surgeons, uh, who really were uh, came into their own after World War II, Plastic surgeons became more and more aggressive with every decade. So each decade, you know, the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, 50s, all the way up to n about 10 years ago, much more aggressive procedures all the way where we, we lift the skin almost to the nose. We lift the skin all the way into the neck. We lift in two layers usually. We lift the jowls in one layer and the skin in another layer. But about 10 years ago, we changed. We changed and we became maybe a little less aggressive in a facelift because so many people got that pulled look. And, and 
you only have to watch TV to see who that is, although it's less now because we changed our technique and we got a little less aggressive because actually about 15 or so years ago, we had good fillers. So we did not have to pull as hard to improve the nasal labial fold. That's the fold between the corner of the nose and the corner of the mouth. We didn't have to pull as hard to, to improve the marionette lines. That's the line between the corner of the mouth and the chin. So we could, we could lift maybe a little bit less and do all sorts of uh, things in a facelift that made you look better with less incisions. It's a short scar facelift now instead of big incisions in the hair that could be seen. Uh, you know, as a, as a little aside, I actually was asked by the Washington Examiner about a week or two ago to examine photographs of presidential candidate Vice President Biden. And I said, well, you know, I'm not going to make any judgments, but just go ahead and send me the pictures, and I'll tell you if I think he had a facelift. And absolutely he had a facelift. If you look at the photographs, and not a particularly good one, I'm sorry. I hope one of my colleagues didn't do it. Uh, but he's got scars that go down onto his cheek and big scars behind his ear. Take a good close look. Uh, of the pictures that are in the Washington Examiner, or I think I put it on my Facebook page. Uh, but So Joe Biden had a, had a long scar facelift, and they didn't really tighten his neck all that well. So I don't know who did his facelift. I didn't do it. Uh, and But I'm pretty sure he had a facelift, not 100%. He, maybe he got those scars from, uh, I have no idea, but they're facelift scars. So anyway, uh, with the facelift in 2019, it is called a short scar facelift. We no longer do the scars that Joe Biden has behind his ear and up into the scalp. We make an incision that is more easily hidden, and that's what I do, and that's what I did yesterday. It's a short scar incision in front of the ear, uh, just looping about a third of an inch or so behind the ear, uh, and a sideburn incision. Then we make an incision underneath the chin. And through the one under the chin, I pretty aggressively attack those bands in the neck, those Catherine Hepburn bands. Uh, you know, those are a giveaway for age. Uh, there's usually some fat in the neck. Yesterday's patient, boy, she had no fat, as she's probably listening. No fat there. Just a little bit underneath the muscle. But uh, the surgeon needs to really understand the anatomy and remove fat if it's necessary and not remove fat if it's not because uh, we don't want to make you look like a skeleton. And, and so many people who have had facelifts have been defatted too much. And there's a real art to this. It's not just a technical exercise to do a facelift. It's artistry. So we want to remove only as much fat as is necessary. We want to tighten the bands of the neck. And then we go to the cheeks, and we do a two-layered facelift now. It's a, uh, a short scar facelift. The second layer is a specific lifting of the jowl and a defatting of the jowl if it's necessary. And, uh, and that's done, and then we, uh, we remove skin. The short scar facelift is a vertical facelift. That means it lifts the skin up as opposed to back, which is the long scar facelift. And I think it looks more natural and better. And most of my patients, after about two months, don't have to wear makeup to cover their incision. I can't promise that. No one can ever promise that. But that's the truth, that most of my patients, uh, they don't need to wear makeup to cover the scar. If it's done just right, my scar goes inside the ear just a short distance and, uh, and kind of lose the scar when it goes inside the ear. So the short scar facelift is what I do. Uh, and my patient yesterday wanted her eyelids done at the same time, but she was a little older. And when we do facelift, it took me three and a half hours to do yesterday's facelift, and that's typical in terms of time. 
Uh, we don't want to rush. But when we add the eyelids, it adds a couple hours. And for most people, six hours on the operating room table is kind of tough. It's tough for you. Yeah, the surgeons can do it. I can do it. We've trained to do these things. Uh, but six hours is a long time. And the recovery from a six-hour operation is much more difficult from recovery from a four-hour operation. And when I do facelifts, we do them under local anesthesia, uh, anesthesia with sedation. That means uh, no narcotics are used and no drugs that can give you nausea. That's the important thing. So a facelift that way, you usually, usually recover very quickly. And today's patient walked into the office just fine this morning, uh, looked good, and that's the way we want it. But if she had her eyelids added, you know, it's a much more difficult recovery. So I encourage my patients to break up surgery uh, so we don't have financial inducements to do more than one procedure in a day, and I think it's to your advantage. We don't want a complication. No one does. Uh, we want you to recover rapidly. Well, Noah's beginning to wave his hands frantically. He's saying, hey, the show's about to end. Wrap it up. I'll be back next Saturday, I believe, unless we're preempted by football. I, I, I think we are. Hey, by the way, we're on tomorrow night at 11 o'clock. If you've missed my show, there's more of me, 11 p.m. on WOR tomorrow night. Check me out on Facebook and periplasticsurgery.com. And don't forget drperrys.com for those great skincare products that I talked about during the show. Noah, thanks so much for great engineering. We'll see everybody next week, 6 o'clock. Bye-bye now.